This is the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who's had to make some difficult business decisions during this pandemic. As the world continues to battle its way through this challenging time, small businesses are being hit hardest right now. To understand the options that entrepreneurs have available, we are going to showcase a business that was born out of economic hardship and is currently using those survival skills to make it through this time of uncertainty. Today's guest is Sonia Razula, CEO of Unique Markets, a large-scale events company that produces pop-up marketplaces with local artisans. Since live events are out for the foreseeable future, her focus right now is keeping her business afloat while protecting the people that rely on her events for their livelihood, including employees, contractors, and business partners. Here's Sonia on the mission that launched her company and that is driving her forward right now. I started Unique Markets in 2008 during the last recession, and it's a company that I started essentially in order to create these large-scale, modern pop-up markets. You know, I started the company to support small businesses and to help the masses understand how important shopping small is. And so, you know, when people come into the environment for a weekend, we want to make sure it's a memorable experience. So it's been really exciting working with so many small businesses over the years. And I also understand that you have a mission of conscious consumerism. What does that mean to you? For me, conscious consumerism is really about understanding what I'm buying, understanding where it's coming from, trying to know as much about it as possible, but also who I'm purchasing from and how I'm spending my money. So I feel like a lot of people understand why it is better to go to the farmer's market and buy organic produce direct from the farmers. They tend to understand that, but then a lot of people will purchase off of Amazon or go to the malls and buy things from big box corporations and stores. And so I think just being a little bit more mindful of what is it that I'm purchasing? Why am I purchasing it? And who does this benefit? I think those are important things to think about when consuming anything, really. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Where was all this born out of? It seems like a massive undertaking. What gave you the idea? Yeah, it's it's strange. So, you know, I was, I actually was unemployed. <laughs> And so I think as most people do when they're unemployed, I I just been fired actually from a television show, oh, which wow. I had thought was my dream job. So I think that my headspace was very much in a place of um, like, oh my God, my world is over. What am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And so I was literally stuck in traffic one day in my car. And one of the ideas that I had thought about was, I know so many amazing, cool artists in Los Angeles, and it's weird to me that the rest of the world doesn't know that Los Angeles is filled with great artists and designers and fashion designers. To me, I think like most people thought of Los Angeles as like, it's the beach or it's Hollywood, and that's Mm -hmm. it. And so it occurred to me that there was an opportunity 
to help promote all of these great Los Angeles designers and artists that I knew. But also, honestly, I love shopping. And I had lived in Toronto, Canada for over a decade. I went to journalism school at Ryerson for all the Canadian listeners right now. (laughs) Home of Fresh Books. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to all the Torontonians. There was a large show that happens there. It's called One of a Kind Show. And I always loved going when I lived in Toronto. It's very different from unique markets, but at the core, they're kind of the same. It's just this idea of taking a very, very large space and filling it with great businesses so that people can discover them, meet who is making the different items. And so I always had that show in the back of my mind. And so fast forward to me sitting in my car, hot, uncomfortable, deadlocked on the freeway in Los Angeles. And I thought, could I create a market in Los Angeles and try to do this for Americans? Because nothing of this nature was happening in America at the time at all. And when you had this idea, were you thinking more I just think this would be cool and I'd like to have more of these artists be known. Or were you thinking like, oh, I could actually make money from this and this could be my next venture? (laughs) Definitely not the second one. Um, (laughs) I wish I could say like, yes, I had it all planned out, but I absolutely did not. Because I was unemployed and bored out of my mind, I think it was just something that I saw as like, this will keep me occupied. It's going to be fun. It's a challenge. Let's just try this. And it wasn't until we had the first market and made money, which was amazing, that I realized, oh, wow, this is actually a business. Sonia put it all on the line. She used her 401k to launch and to this day has never needed to take investment for any of her companies, which she owns 100% of. Like many entrepreneurs, Sonia didn't need an MBA to build a profitable business. She had experience. I actually got headhunted from Eaton's, which is a very old department store that no longer exists. (laughs) From the, like, working on the floor? Yeah. So I, I was just like a sales girl, and I was working there while in university, and so In my fourth year of journalism school, I actually was offered a full-time job as the editor of their website. So I I never got my journalism degree. (laughs) But you got it in real-world experience. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting because so my career started in online. From that day forward, Mm -hmm. everything that I did was always online. Mm -hmm. So I have a wealth of e-com tech site architecture experience, which I think has really benefited me as a small business owner. And then I had retail experience, which I also think when I look back on it, obviously added to my understanding of everything from merchandising to store displays to signage. Like there's this natural knowledge that I have just from, you know, working in high school and in college in stores, like in the mall. And you don't really realize when you're doing those jobs, like sitting there at the gap being told to fold like 500 t-shirts. Oh, the gap You don't fold. really realize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually only lasted there three months. I was like, see ya, this is not for me. But I took those lessons. I, I can fold t-shirts like no one's business. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. 
I think retail jobs have really aided me. And then working in for all of the online, I launched the website for Home and Garden TV and Food Network and Nat Geo. And so working with such large scale media companies gave me the skill sets, I think, to really run a company because you're working with hundreds and hundreds of other people. You actually get to see firsthand all the different departments that there are in a, you know, so-called Fortune 500 company. And I think that's been really helpful. If if I had come out of college and just been like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I definitely would not have made it. Being managed by really terrible bosses and then being managed by really good ones, I think helped me be a great leader now. And so, yeah, I'd say all the different corporate experience that I had definitely helped me understand the business side of things, because obviously I am much more of a creative. I went to journalism school. I love writing. I love photography. So somehow I ended up with both left and right side brain, which is great. Yeah. I always say that you have to look at your past experience like it's all valuable. And sometimes you don't know how all the pieces fit together. But when you step back and you look at the big picture, it's like, oh, I needed to know the gap fold. <laughs> I worked uh, at the the limited, yeah. but same idea. <laughs> oh, limited was like the store. That was the jam. Oh, well, I spent more money there than I made. So it all worked out <laughs> in the end. <laughs> My time at The Limited was brief, and as I mentioned, not at all profitable. But I gained valuable sales skills there that I've been able to put to use in my business today. Working retail taught Sonia those skills, but it also made her a better business coach and mentor. You're running a business with all of these artists, but they're also running their businesses too. How much guidance in the early iteration of Unique Markets did you give to the artists on which pieces they should bring or how they should operate from a business standpoint to have uniformity? How much coaching was involved in this? Yeah, a lot from the very beginning. I think that that was the thing that separated me at the time from people who were doing popular flea markets In America, 12 years ago, there was this really cool, popular market called the Brooklyn Flea that was getting a lot of press attention. So there were definitely markets and gatherings that were taking place, um, but again, not really curated the way ours is. But I knew that my corporate experience would probably be the thing that would separate me from a lot of these other existing fairs. And so what I wanted to do was implement an educational component. So from day one in 2008, what we do is once we curate all the vendors, we actually hold a seminar for them about a month out. And so we take that opportunity to go through best practices, what to do, what not to do, what to expect, things to bring, how to communicate with the customers, kind of your basic level, I would say, like marketing and communications and public relations classes. Um, But then I also bring in experts that I know from really amazing companies or also people who have sold and been really successful at the markets to help talk to, you know, the new crop of sellers. And I think that's been really, really helpful to them. I, 
as most small business owners know, you know, aside from doing some Google searches to get help, you are pretty much on your own. Um, it's pretty lonely. And when you need help, you're kind of like, hello, is anybody out there? <laughs> so I think this educational component has not only helped me as a business owner because it helps them, but I think that it has also become something that everyone looks forward to now. Like we hear over and over again, there are sellers who have sold at 30 markets with us at this point, And yet every single time they come to that meeting. And so I think it's become something that is really enriched the community. And it's almost seen as a way to connect with other small business owners too. Yes. That drive for community is really important, especially at a time when it's sort of a bold move, really, Sonia, to move into this live event space at a time when a lot of people are moving their goods to being sold online. So that was, I imagine, pretty innovative at the time because everybody at that time was probably starting to think about like, oh, how can I sell things online and sell them sort of in mass as opposed to really connecting with the customers and the other business owners. What would you say are the biggest mistakes that uh, artists come into unique markets making other than looking tacky like that? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think that they often entrepreneurs forget about the most basic things. And what I mean by that is they create the most beautiful objects. They sew the most beautiful clothing. You know, when it comes to their products, they know absolutely what they are doing. But when it comes to talking to other human beings, (laughs) I can tell you right now that is a skill. People have it or they don't. And if they're not great, like a lot of artists tend to be introverted. So the interesting thing is when you sign up to sell at a market, you need to remember that you are interfacing with the public. And so at that point, you have to be less artist and more salesperson. And that's that's one of the first things that I think a lot of people forget. It's like, oh, right, I have to actually sell these items. They are not just going to fly off the shelves themselves. <laughs> Do you have any tips for selling when you're dealing face-to-face with the buyer there? It can feel so icky. You don't want to be pushy. But at the same time, you know, you have to sometimes influence people into making a decision, especially when there's so many other options, right? People can get stuck in indecision. Yeah, I think the best advice I have there is, number one, you have to figure out whether you are the best person to sell your products. And the answer to that might be no. And then you need to actually either hire someone to come sell for you or like a family member who's just really outgoing. But at the end of the day, you're trying to make a living. You're not trying to be the best artist in the world. And I think, you know, it's 2020. And I think that so much has happened in the modern world. The old phrase of like artists being starving, like there's absolutely no reason for that. And so I like to try to get people who are more artistically minded or creative. I want to inspire all of those people to understand that they can be creative and they can be artists, but they also have to put food on the table, which means they have to understand business 
and sales in order to actually continue to make their art. You know, we're talking a lot about how your business has operated, but we're recording this now in what for me is week eight of a quarantine and you're in the live event space where you have, you know, thousands of people coming to be together. So if I may ask, how is COVID-19 affecting your current business? And then I want to talk about how you are planning for the future in this world where we don't even really know what's coming next. That first week, I made the decision and talked to my team about it. We essentially have no business. First week of March, I understood that unique markets, as it had always been, would probably have zero revenue for 2020, just because the way that we make our money is by holding these events. We only hold them three weekends a year. We make all of our revenue in three weekends, but it means that in between those weekends, we don't have any money. Like we're just floating from event to event. And so the last time that we made money was December and it was the first week of March. And I realized, I don't think this is looking good. (laughs) I'll be honest. And so most likely we're not going to do the markets this year because I don't think it'll be safe and I don't think it's the responsible thing to do. We are in week eight. So actually a lot of cities are now starting to do like phase one of going back or phase two. But I really don't believe that it's a responsible thing to gather thousands of people at this point. So that takes a lot of courage, Sonia, to to look at the well-being of everyone, of the designers, of the customers over your own business well-being. That's really brave. I mean, just seems like the natural thing to do. (laughs) Well, for you, because you are conscious of the impact that your business makes. But what does that mean for you? Like, have you had to think about different ways to present the market virtually? We have. I mean, I also saw it as a sign to just to be perfectly honest, to pause. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that most people are so resistant against. I've watched a lot of business owners and a lot of friends of mine and peers just kind of go like off the deep end. What do you mean by that off the deep end? I think that they uh, like the idea of stepping back for a couple minutes to think things through, which to me means you think about not just the present, but you think far into the future And a lot of them were just stuck in like the present, like kind of like chickens with their heads cut off. They're just like running and bumping into walls and trying to make decisions without really ever giving themselves the time to pause and say like, I can stop bleeding money right now and make sure that the bank account has money in it for when we are ready to go back. So at that time, I can hire people proper salaries, people can come back, we will still have a business because the money is in the account. Whereas I watched a lot of people just burn through money. And even four weeks of burning through money can really make or break some of these small businesses. So what were the steps that you had to take? Because obviously certain businesses couldn't just shut down. And you have these three markets a year, there must have been some steps where you're like, okay, I can lose this. I can cut this. I can renegotiate this. Can you take me through that? Yes. There were things that we had already spent money on. 
we had already started kind of sending out checks to contract workers and DJs and florists. A lot of our workers are obviously contractors because we only do the events three times a year. And so our contracts with them are usually, you know, pay 50% up front and then 50 when we're done. So we'd already paid some money out to people. And so they're just sitting on it. That's fine. We'll take them up on it next year, I guess. But most of our large contracts, we were able to pause. Obviously, the whole world is going through this. It's not like we were like, wait a minute, we aren't a great business. We need to pause. It's like everyone is dealing with this. And so, of course, the landlords, the venues, some of the larger contracts that we had, everyone's just been great at like pausing because they're all on the same boat as us. But what I did other than that pretty immediately was, you know, the first couple of weeks I kept my staff on and we were figuring out content, content calendars, what we could do from home to try to give value and support back to our small business owners who really we consider to be our first audience. And then our second audience is the shoppers. And so we wanted to spend that first couple of weeks helping the small business community because I know how much help they need and how ill-equipped most of them are, you know, and a lot of them just started their businesses a year ago. So we spent the first couple of weeks doing that, but then I immediately had everyone go on unemployment. That's what it's there for. You know, as a business owner, every payroll that I run, I'm putting money into unemployment insurance. And so it's just sitting there. And so if there's ever a time to use it, this is now. (laughs) So they immediately all went on unemployment. I did a GoFundMe to try to raise a little bit of money just to pad up their bank accounts in the interim before the UI kicked in. And so we did that. Was that successful for you? Yeah, we raised like seven or $8,000. The thing that was weird for me was having to, I realized like, you know, you really have to constantly talk about it and push it in order for something like that to be successful. And because we were kind of the first ones, you know, we're in Los Angeles, we were very much ahead of the curve here. We launched the GoFundMe when thousands and thousands of other small businesses did too. And so I think I started to realize like, okay, it's okay. If we're only going to make seven or 8,000, as opposed to like the 20,000 that I want, I'm fine with that because I think that at this point, there's so much noise and so many people are asking for money and so many people out there have been laid off. I want to be aware and sensitive to that. And so, you know, we raised the amount we raised. We kind of never really talked about it again. But yeah, I mean, that was hard for me, but also just seemed like an obvious choice. Like, however, we can utilize the community to help this business stay afloat. Things have changed a lot, you know, in the last seven weeks. So (laughs) now I know a lot more and we have a solid bank account, which is great. Like the money is there. And when we are allowed to do events again, we will go like gangbusters. But until then, I don't want to waste a penny on anything that I don't have to. Mm. What about you? How are you taking care of yourself during this time? I take a lot of baths. <laughs> <laughs> I love baths. The bath right? bombs. Like, I 
I honestly, it sounds weird, but like, I was like, you know what? I don't think I've taken a shower in the last eight weeks because I just continually take baths. It's like, this is (laughs) me time. You know, I get to listen to music or a podcast. And I'm really lucky because we live in a house and we have a yard. And so for me, it's been really nice. I can step outside. I can sit outside and have my coffee in the morning and on the weekends, we get to sit out there and relax and read the New York Times. So there are these little things that we did before COVID-19. And it's been nice to be able to still kind of like find a routine in those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But on the other extreme, it's been like the busiest six to eight weeks of my life since starting the company, trying to figure out the loans, applying Mm. for the Paycheck Protection Plan loans, then now navigating all the different red tape and rules that go along with them. So it's just like, it's a lot of admin business ownership stuff that I find just exhausting and terrible. That I'm always burning candles. I will say that just like you, it's like my one thing is like, no matter what room I'm in, there are like candles burning. Yeah, that's your piece (laughs) that brings you grounding. Yeah. I think it's like the last thing I want is to be stuck at home and then also smelling the garbage. (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) So what's the next iteration of Unique Markets? So I think we are finally going to go online. It is embarrassing that it's taken us 12 years, but from someone who burned away her 20s working in tech, I think that I was just so resistant to it. But yeah, so we are going to launch an online store. Obviously, this will be exciting for me because I know so many amazing designers and artists and we will curate them and it will be online and we will hopefully be able to have a whole new revenue stream from that. Before we wrap up today, Sonia, we ask all of our guests about their favorite tips or tools. The best piece of advice that I could give out there is to always trust your gut, no matter what climate, no matter whether you're at the beginning, the middle phase of your business, there are always more than enough people to be in your ear and try to tell you what they think. But I truly believe that as individuals, we all know our capabilities and our own vision. And too often, people don't trust their gut. And so I'd say my biggest piece of advice is is always to trust your gut. When I have not trusted my own gut, I've run into problems. And so even I have to remind myself to take that advice time and time again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, because sometimes like you don't have the fact to back up the feeling. But a lot of times the feeling is more right than what's on the paper, right? The feeling, you know, when Mm -hmm. something feels wrong, it's like, don't wait for the facts. Just it feels wrong. Go the other direction. You are biologically hardwired to trust your gut. Our problems are a lot more complicated than those of our ancestors. But that fight or flight response still guides a lot of the decisions we make on a daily basis. You know better than anyone else what's right for you and your business. Let that be your guiding principle as you navigate to the other side of this pandemic. Here are a few key takeaways from this episode. We are better together. When we support small businesses, we support the economy. We all win. Responsible consumerism is the new black. 
Act fast and stop burning money now. Use all of the resources available to you in order to protect yourself and the people that rely on your business. Your product won't sell itself. Learn more sales skills or enlist the help of someone who can influence your customers. You can find out more about Sonia and all of her projects that fall under the Unique brand by checking out their website at uniquemarkets.com. Plus, keep an eye out for their online store launching soon. In the next week, watch out for our bonus episode with more details on the financial resources that are available to small businesses, like the Paycheck Protection Program and other loans and grants. Are you curious about FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams? Especially in a time like this, FreshBooks wants to save you hours on accounting paperwork and help you get your finances organized. We have a special offer just for our podcast listeners at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Paco Erzmendi is our producer and director. And I'm Demona Hoffman, host and producer of I Make a Living. If you want to connect with me about my business, which is the relationship business, or anything else, you can find me on all of the socials at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. And don't forget to join our I Make a Living Facebook community where you'll find helpful webinars, videos from business leaders, and an opportunity to connect with other entrepreneurs who are experiencing the same challenges you're going through right now. Join the community at facebook.com slash groups slash I make a living, or simply search the hashtag I make a living to find our community page. And trust your gut, because it's your business. See you next week.